Welcome to this episode of the Church's Radical Reform. My name is Christopher Lamb, and in this podcast series, I'm exploring the unprecedented reform process that Pope Francis has launched across global Catholicism. The pioneers in all of this are the Church in Central and Latin America. And in this episode, I speak to Cardinal Oscar Rodriguez Maradiaga of Honduras. He is one of the Pope's closest advisers and has been hard at work to try and bring about a more synodal church. Cardinal Oscar, thank you so much for joining me uh, on this podcast, uh, looking at the synod process. Pope Francis, the first Latin American Pope, has called this uh, unprecedented synod. Can you tell us what's been happening in the church in Latin America when it comes to the synod? Yes, Christopher, it's a great pleasure to talk to you and to all the people who are listening. What's the meaning of all this, you know? There was, there was a long, long journey. And, of course, there was in many of us, I have been participating in 10 synods now. Many of us wanted something to be changed because there was a kind of routine in, in the celebration of, of the synodal processes. And, of course, there was an institution mainly of bishops. It was indeed started as the Synod of Bishops. Now there are other perspectives now. Now the Holy Father has called the Synodal way in the church. So it doesn't mean that the Synod of Bishops is going to be abolished, but it means that there is a new kind of participation and this is really challenges to all of us. You're speaking to me from um, Palka in Honduras. Can you tell us what you've been doing in your uh, local church for? Well, well, this is this is really a very long journey. I have been bishop here in Honduras for forty three years now. I am ready to say bye-bye, <laughs> but it's been challenging and, and very beautiful, let me tell you. We are a small church, a poor church, but a living church. And, of course, due to many historical reasons, the church here in Honduras didn't have a lot of priests. After independence from Spain in 1821, there was one bishop and 15 priests left for the whole country. And it was tough during the 19th century. And at the beginning of the 20th century, still there was only one diocese in the whole country of Honduras. We are 112,000 square kilometers. And now it's uh, around 9 million inhabitants, and now we are, let me see, uh, 11 dioceses now, around 500 priests and religious. And of course, our church has been mainly a lay women and men church. And uh, the laity is very active After Vatican II, 
we uh, started a ministry, a new ministry of what we call delegates of the word of God. It means peasants mainly, at the beginning only men, but now men and we, men who celebrate the word of God in the countryside, in small villages, etc. And this has been making the faith grow. Is that how you see the, the future of the church to an extent, lay people taking a lead? Yes, you know, because uh, lay men and women are the, the big, biggest part of the church. We ministers are only that, servants of the evangelization. But of course, every day more and more, lay men and women are taking their own responsibility in the life of the church. When it comes to the role of, of lay men and women, there's a particular question for lay women. How can lay women um, take a, a leadership role in the church? There's a feeling that from the outside of the church, it's still run by men. Well, it all depends when are you talking from, because in uh, our countries in Central America, women have been <laughs> all the time leaders, you know, because for what I was talking at the beginning, in many communities, only women went to church and they were the ones organizing and preserving the faith, transmitting the catechesis. And so what is referred to power, because, well, many times um, clergy has been associated with power in the church, and this is not the real perspective that Pope Francis is asking us to adopt. In the church, those who serve are servants, not people of power. That mentality, um, when that changes, that can maybe give more space to women to lead in the church. If of, we, we of shift course, that. You know, First of all, there was, there was a, a big obstacle in canon law. We have been discussing many, many years in the Council of the Cardinals that there are things that are not precisely uh, tied to the canon law. And that's why the Holy Father started um, a real reform that has not been making a lot of noise, but it's true. Now you can see how in the Roman Curia, you have women in leading places, such as in the same secretariat of the Synod, such as in the Council of Economy, such as in the Dicastery um, for Development, you see that every day more and more, the Holy Father is trying to appoint very qualified women in order to show that there is also place for women, even in the Curia. Can you tell me a bit about the um, big meeting that you had in November in Mexico, the Ecclesial Assembly, that was like a kind of synod? Yes, I believe this is a kind of a, of a experiment, you know? We were not planning like that, but it resulted 
in the new way of making synods in the future. How come? Okay, in the Assembly of Selam, the Bishops' Council of Latin America in 2019, that was here in Tegucigalpa in Honduras, the bishops were uh, proposing to ask the Holy Father for the sixth general conference of uh, bishops of Latin America. You will remember that this was the only continent where you had these kind of things. Started in Rio de Janeiro in 1955, then Medellin 1968, then Puebla 1979, then Santo Domingo 1992, and finally Aparecida 2007. Okay, and after 12 years of Aparecida, the bishops wanted to have another general conference. And when the new directives of Salem went to Rome and asked the Holy Father for this, Pope Francis answered, I don't think the times are so mature for this. So try to imagine a different thing. And this is how this kind of, of uh, assembly, this kind of, you know, uh, it's something totally new. We were thinking that it was very interesting to have laymen and women, priests, religious bishops and cardinals. And so we started preparing that. Then came COVID, and with COVID, uh, everything was uh, relented. But finally, we arrived after, let me tell you, because I was one of the organizers, I was participating in more than 100 meetings via Zoom. Can you imagine this? <laughs> it's it's like, a, like a penance, you know, but it, it went to a very good port because the assembly took place with around um, 700 or 800 uh, participants via internet and more than 100 in presence in Mexico. And there was really a lot of new things. First of all, all the consultation. Let me tell you that in the past, for the synods, there were very little uh, number of participants who were sending their inputs. Why? Well, for the methodology itself, there was uh, a small booklet of uh, uh, questions that was called lineamenta, and it came to all the bishops' conferences. Mainly the bishops were appointing one or two bishops responsible for this, and they were trying to make a real survey, a real consultation. Mm. But in general, in general, there were very few, very few answers. Many times for some synods, there was not the whole number of the bishops' conferences of the world who were participating. Now, let me tell you, there were 70,000 participations for the preparation of this assembly. Only from that point of view is, is a big reform. Yes, then, yes, you're seeing a more, more of a listening church, more of a participatory one. Yes, and you know, after, after the, the celebration 
of this uh, assembly, and they were making numbers by with all the the technical um, resources. Now they can count. They were more than four hundred thousand participants. Wow. This is this is unique in the history of the church. There is like a like a revolution, and very important. And it's going to revitalize, you hope, the church. Yes, and this will be very important for the this period where we are in now. This uh, synodal way that was started last October in in the Vatican and in all the dioceses. We are committed, and if I can mention you. After Medellin, we used to have a methodology in Latin America to see, to judge, and to act. Okay, now we have been modifying, not only changing words, but changing attitude. Now we talk about listening, illuminating, and acting. It means that we are progressing in all these uh, new ways in the church. I am very optimistic about this. And why is the synod process so important in, say, Honduras and in Latin America when it comes to the church serving society, being involved in all the different challenges and difficulties responding to poverty, climate change? Why is the synod important in that respect? Because it's um, a changing a radical changing in attitude, you know. We, I still remember when there was the first uh, streams of uh, theology of liberation that many of us were saying we have to be the voice of the voiceless. But it happens that now it's society in general who doesn't want to listen. And you can see that Every day more and more, the actual society is going through a strong individualism. Mm. And even with this pandemic of COVID, you see that everybody is in its own place with fear and, well, listening to themselves or listening to uh, a, a particular sector of life, but it's necessary to go ahead and to go again to the main square and to listen to the voice of the voiceless. And so this synodal methodology can be a good way to go on. When it comes to how this is working from Rome and with Pope Francis. I wanted to ask you how he sees things. You were in Rome recently for a meeting with your fellow cardinals who advise the Pope. You're part of that important council of cardinals. How does Pope Francis see the synodal process going? You know, I think that this is one of the biggest reforms that the Holy Father is making, you know, because this is not an idea that came from, from heaven. <laughs> it's, part, it's part of Vatican II. It's part of Vatican II. And 
of course, it took more than 50 years in order to, to have the enough maturity to enter in these kind of uh, radical changes in the synodal uh, methodology. But it's going on, you know? I think this is something that will not go backwards. There is uh, a pair of very key speeches of Pope Francis that are very important. The first in, is in 2015. We were in the middle of the Synod for the Family, but we had a special commemoration of the 50 years of the institution of the Synod of Bishops. And the Holy Father had this very important speech in the aula, Paul VI, where he was talking to all of us about this. It's necessary to go back to this speech in order to understand the amount of reform that came. And the second speech is very important. Of course, you have now the Vademecum, you have all the documents that the Secretariat is, pre is uh, producing. But there is another speech that the Holy Father had to the bishops of Italy in the plenary meeting of last year. It's very important to understand that the synodal reform is something totally new and that will lead us, let's hope, to the Synod of 2023 on this argument of the synodal life in the church. What was the Pope saying to you when you met him uh, re recently during your uh, discussions? Was he confident with how things were going? Oh, yes. You know, we had we had the first uh, um, meeting in presence since two years. We have had, of course, meetings via Zoom every two months. But this was the first in two years, and it was very important. Of course, the Holy Father has still to publish the new constitution, which is not new anymore. <laughs> <laughs> On the you Roman know, Curia. Yes, about the Curia. The reforms have been made. What is totally new is the approach, and especially what uh, it's called in the um, in the Constitution, the preambula. Okay, this is like an introduction, a doctrine, doctrinal introduction. And of course, the Constitution is work of the Holy Father. He is the author of this, of this document. We were only consultants and we were, of course, um, uh, giving our inputs, but the work is of him. So that's why, we gave our draft more than one year ago, and he knows when. He has everything ready after consultations and after many of the, uh, of the other circumstances, you know, according to canon law, etc. But this is one of his purposes during this next year. But he continues. Can you imagine the amount of reformations that he had been making in the canon law? There are there are a big number of those. And so this is another subject we have to discuss. Then there are many other things in the life of the Curia, 
when we were almost concentrated in uh, starting a new uh, constitution, the Holy Father told us, no, this is not very urgent, which is what is very urgent is economy. And that's mm-hmm. why we started most of our first meetings devoted to that. And that, that led to the Secretariat of Economy, etc. When the constitution of the Curia is published, will it have a strong emphasis on a synodal church and that model? Yes. You know why? Because it's a new approach. It's a new approach to service. And this is is going to, to have very, very positive repercussions in my perspective to the life, not only of the Roman Curia, but as well, in the life of the diocese. Will it mean a, a curia, a Roman curia that, that is based on serving the local diocese rather than the diocese looking to the curia for all the answers all the time? Yes, it's resp- co-responsibility and, of course, a church that is mature. It's not like, like a child asking for permission to your daddy to make ordinary things. It's, and- it's, uh, Maybe I am making caricature, but it's uh, people can understand how decentralization and co-responsibility is very important in and these new stages of the church. When do you think this constitution will be published? Let me let me hope this year. Now, one of the things you and I both know is that any reform in the church, and particularly this Pope's reform, often experience opposition. Do you think the synodal message is coming to the Roman Curia, or do you think it's being resisted? You know, (laughs) there are two aspects I would like to to consider. Because, of course, we have the new law, we have new documents, etc. We need as well new persons. That is why in the life of the church, we need conversion. And, of course, synodality demands from all of us conversion. And it's not easy to live what you think it was the best way. And now everything is moving. Everything is trembling. What happened? What's going to be? And uh, many times this is a big obstacle. So we need, all of us, we need conversion to synodality. What would you say to those people who are opposed to the synod, who are scared or who are sceptical about it? Well, I would say, first of all, try to pray. (laughs) (laughs) Many times we are as a refuge in our own ideas or in our own concepts, not even have the suspicions that we could be mistaken. We cannot be so proud to say that we know everything. No, there is always time to leave the Holy Father, the Holy Spirit, to inspire us new ways of being church. Pope Francis seems to be moving ahead in top gear. 
Is that your sense as well? Some people in Rome talk about the, a, a future conclave coming around the corner soon. What's your sense about how determined the Pope is to keep going? He is very well determined. And of course, there was a big concern when he had this surgery last year. But let me tell you, I saw him with very good health and energy. So I wouldn't say what some sources are saying, that this is the last stage of the pontificate. No, this is a new stage of the pontificate. And he is determined to keep going and to take many of the reforms to a very good way. And how do you think he deals with the opposition that sometimes he he encounters? I think he is dealing in a very intelligent way because he is not just looking for battles who are useless. He's trying to trying to spread, I would say the the big ideas of Vatican II and to put them in the reality of the 21st century. But he is not inventing powder, you know. <laughs> he's just he's just taking the council on. Would you also say that the synod process is going to last beyond this pontificate? This is a long project. Yes, it's a long project long-term project and of course is not going to stop because I am convinced it's the Holy Spirit, the one who leads the church. And so the church is not going backwards. Certainly not. You once said to me that the church does not have a reverse gear. Yes, I am convinced about this. (laughs) I wouldn't like to go backwards. I am convinced this is my last year of pastoral government because I just was uh, celebrating my 79th birthday. But I am full of energy and happiness. And of course, I will go until the end. Do you feel hopeful for the future of the church? Yes, a lot. Because I see the young generations of Catholics especially the young here in Honduras, who are full of energy and and love and joy. And of course, there is a lot of future. Finally, you are a a musician. You played the saxophone. Can you draw an analogy between the synod process and music? Yes, a lot. You know, I still love music. It's one of my big passions. Unfortunately, I didn't have a lot of time recent years to, to... play music but can you imagine that i'm still teaching music in my seminary and this (laughs) is a a way of relief and and to rest from many of the the big problems of every day and i enjoy i enjoy also making my songs as well i have been composing some songs Let me tell you, I understand the church as a big orchestra with different kinds of instruments. And of course, more than a symphonic orchestra, because in the symphonic orchestra, in the classic symphonic orchestra, 
You don't have saxophones. They were not invented at that time. And that's the reason why in my orchestra, of course, we do have saxophones. And let me tell you, what is the purpose of a symphonic orchestra? To make symphonies, not to make cacophonies. And so we need to be tuned all the instruments before you start playing. There is an oboe that is giving A. A. And all the instruments have been tuned up in order to start. When people is playing their own score, they're ruining the execution. So it's necessary that all of us can play our part in our own score and not trying to invade other instruments because this is a mistake. The church is like a big symphonic orchestra and the Holy Spirit is the director. And of course, we need to be in harmony. Harmony is the big treasure of music. And of course, we need harmony. Well, Cardinal Oscar, on that note, I want to thank you very much for taking part in this conversation and hope to uh, be in touch again soon. It's a, it's a pleasure, Christopher. God bless you, your family, and all what the tablet is doing. I read it very, very frequently and enjoy. <laughs>